0: I'm the Reverend Maria McCabe. As always, it is such a joy, such a privilege and pleasure to be with all of you on Sunday morning. My preferred pronouns are she, her, and hers. And if any of you have ever been mildly curious about why I say that, don't fall asleep during the sermon today. (laughs) I know we're all sleep-deprived. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of the daylight savings time on this side of the, uh, the year, but whatever. So as, as you may know, our spiritual theme for the month of March is, is journey. And today we're going to continue with, with the theme of this journey that all of us make together. Of course, we're here to support and to nourish our own individual spiritual journeys, and to be with one another as we grow individually. But we're, we're also here to make journeys together. And so today that will, that will be the focus of the service. And, and in, in honor of that, I'm, I'm wearing my ordination stole, which has footprints. Maybe you can see it has footprints. And, when those individual footprints start alone at the bottom and then they keep marching, they keep marching, and then pretty soon they blend into a multitude. Now, a lot of the youth here think that these are popsicle sticks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's good on a potluck Sunday, but they're actually protest signs. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, so there you have it. This journey that we make to justice is a journey that we make without a road map I don't know before uh, before we all had smartphones do you remember how AAA used to prepare a triptych for you that had every single they, those were so comforting if you actually read them which I didn't always they were so comforting because you knew when you started out on the journey that if you followed the directions you would get there and unfortunately most of life is not like that <laughs> and certainly our journeys to justice our journeys to beloved community don't don't have don't have those markers so i invite us to enter into the spirit of worship this morning with these words from the spanish poet antonio machado And the title of today's worship service comes from this poem, and I'm going to share it with you first in Spanish, and then I'm going to share my own translation. It's entitled, Caminante, no hay camino. Traveler, there is no path. Caminante, son tus huellas el camino y nada más. Caminante, no hay camino, se hace camino al andar. Al andar se hace el camino, y al volver la vista atrás, se ve la senda que nunca se ha de volver a pisar. Caminante, no hay camino, sino estelas en el mar. Traveler, it is your footprints that make the path and nothing else. Traveler, there is no path. You make the road by walking. By walking, you make the road. And when you turn your head around, you see the road that you will never walk again. Traveler, there is no path. Only the wake of waves upon the sea. They had no idea where they were going when they left that night in the dark without lights, without shoes, without bread. Their children smothered against them so that they would make no noise. They had no idea what they were getting into following this Moses, this wild-eyed one who claimed visions and made promises, but who after all could guarantee them nothing except death if they were caught. They had no idea these slaves what it could mean this promise of land their own country and life abundant of freedom they knew nothing except what they could taste by living in its opposite slavery and that taste became a hunger and that hunger became insatiable till they were ravenous for freedom and they went out then they went out but no one knows to this day whether they were led by Moses or by the outstretched arm and mighty hand of something else of something eternal as they would afterwards and always claim or whether their own human hungry will made them flee that night from Pharaoh. They went into the wilderness and there they wandered 40 years, which in those days was a lifetime. 40 was a good old age, so many of them died before getting there. And many were born in the desert and grew to adulthood knowing nothing but the journey, not slavery, not freedom, just the going. They whined, they complained, they muttered, some mutinied, for they were a stiff-necked and rebellious people. You can read it for yourself. Ungrateful people, even when manna rained down from heaven and quails were sent to feed them unhappy people longing out loud even for the familiar security of Egypt of all places where at least they knew what to expect and awful as it was impatient people making cheap little idols and gods of metal to bargain with in secret when the traveling got hard or merely dull and the days and years became monotonous. In the springtime, we remember the promised land is not a destination. It is a going. The land beyond the Jordan, that country of freedom and dignity and laughter, you carry it inside you all the time. It is planted in your mind and heart already before you ever start out before it even occurs to you that in order to leave that life in Egypt, the intolerable bondage of that life, what you need to do is stand up and walk forward. Is the way of going, not the destination. I shared with you a few minutes ago that, in fact, what I want to talk with you about today is the journey we make together, particularly the journey we make together to, well, for freedom, for liberation, for justice. I want to encourage and inspire us not to give up when the journey gets dull or it gets hard. I encourage us to keep remembering that we make the road by walking. That we don't have a road map. And that truly, even with the best of intentions, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. And we're going to hurt one another badly. And we're going to hurt ourselves badly. And still, because we have, and we do, I know we do, I know we have that vision of the promised land, which to us is beloved community. We have that vision, I believe, so strongly that sometimes we can taste it. Even as we know that many of us won't see it, in our lifetimes many of our children and grandchildren may not see it so i want to tell you a story about one of those moments before i move forward i've shared with you how in the congregation i served in philadelphia we we had a weekly vigil in solidarity with the black lives matter movement A vigil that I started just a few weeks after the murder of Michael Brown and Ferguson. And that vigil continues today every week, which says something about what journeys are. But a year or two into that process, we had a a special vigil. Usually we would stand outside for you know, half an hour or so, and we would hold signs, and most of the signs said something about honk for black lives. And people knew us by then, so they started honking, you know, two blocks down. (laughs) Especially in the summertime when, you know, things are happier. And then we would come inside to pray together and talk together and to be with one another and to light candles just as we do here light candles to remember that at the end of the day it comes down to that spirit inside of us and we would have conversations with with people who would come up to us and on this particular evening we had a group of women who with whom we had been working in partnership and they came because we had invited them to share their stories and they sharing stories of how their children had suffered violence at the hands of law enforcement one of the women who was there her story had just happened within the last few weeks her 16 year old son with kids other kids on his basketball team were uh, taking public transit to get to their game they were we're all wearing matching caps because the moms had all given them matching caps. It was really super cold, sort of like <laughs> now. Anyway, I don't know, and I don't know that we know what, what it, how it happened, but they were approached by police. I guess they thought, I don't know what, what they thought. And all the other kids ran away, but this particular young boy did not. And, and he was beaten badly and he was hospitalized and his mother learned that that you know the injuries some were permanent and that he would never be able to father children. And she came and in, in this group of women who had similar kinds of stories to share she shared her story and and her grief, and her sense of powerlessness and hopelessness, and she was surrounded with love. She was surrounded with love, and some of us went and knelt by her chair and just held her hand, and we listened. And there was a basket that we had, um, I think you're wearing one, Lisa, with, uh, with the, those uh, bracelets that say Black Lives Matter to Unitarian Universalists. And she asked if she could have one. I said, of course. And she took it. And it was a powerful evening. Difficult, but powerful. A couple of months later, I was in court. One of the women in this group, her grandson, had been arrested and had been held in jail for a long time, and we would go to his court hearings in a show of solidarity. And so I was in court with, with our, our group, and, and as it turned out, I sat next to this woman I'm t- I've been telling you about. And I said hello, and I asked her how she was she didn't say anything for a moment but she just pushed up her sleeve and showed me the bracelet and she looked at me and she said some days this is the only thing that gets me through the day I'm telling you that story not because of any reason except to say to you that we don't know. We don't know when a moment of loving kindness is going to make the difference in someone's life. And we can't set out to say Okay, I'm going to do 15 acts of kindness today because I want to save 15 lives. Doesn't work that way, right? Oh, we can make that decision. We can make that commitment to the best of our ability. That that loving heart that we have, that vision of beloved community, that we can live into that vision, that we can lean into it to the best of our ability, even when we're cranky and tired or sad or grieving. Those things that we do in the name of our faith, our faith in that vision, That reminds us week after week of what is best in ourselves and what is best in our world. Those things that we do in the name of that faith make a difference. And we never know what that difference is going to be. I share that story. Because now I want to talk about something. I want to talk about an instance where we, as Unitarian Universalists, as a faith tradition, we caused pain this week. And I want us to hear that and allow ourselves perhaps to feel the discomfort of that, knowing that we know what to do and that we know how to do better, and we know how to keep learning, okay? So this week, ah. there you are, thank you. Do you all read UU World? Okay, if you uh, if you are a, a member, you should receive a print and or a digital copy. Well, the, the irony of this, this issue is, is quite astounding. Nothing we do will be perfect, it says. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so this, in this issue, UU World published an article called After LGB. What comes after LGBT? And it was an article about tra- transgender Identities, and it was an article that had a lot of information in it and it was an article that caused instant hurt why did it cause instant hurt it was written by a cisgender woman I'm gonna get into that in a moment it was written by a cisgender woman about her experiences of trying to come to terms with the different gender identities in her life. Gender identities that she didn't understand and it was an article about her journey. What's wrong with that? Does anybody not know what cisgender means? Okay. Thank goodness, because otherwise I would have had to cut out this whole part and I would know, be bad. <laughs> so I promised you I'd talk about why I give my pronouns, right? <laughs> Some of you have said, I wish you'd pick different pronouns. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> huh? So we all get assigned a sex at birth, Right? The nurse or the doctor or someone takes a peek and goes mm. it's a boy it's a girl those are usually the only options so we get assigned to sex at birth those of us who throughout our lives identify fully with the sex we're assigned at birth are cisgender okay? so the nurse who looked at me said ah, it's a girl so I am a cisgender female I'm a woman and that's why I say to you my preferred pronouns are she her and hers but that's not true for everybody we know this right we know that that human beings are endlessly complex and that we have all kinds of different responses to, to this whole issue of gender not sex so we have transgender folks folks who might be transgender and non-binary non-binary meaning they don't binary male female they don't that doesn't make sense to them agender someone who doesn't identify at all with gender Lots of terminology and I'm actually gonna send out information for all of you. But the fact that the article was written by a cisgender woman meant that the experience that was being shared with the entire denomination was not the actual experience of transgender Unitarian Universalists, right? It was the experience of perhaps the majority of Unitarian Universalists, trying to come to terms with the other. How does that make you feel if you're the other? So if I were genderqueer, I might say to you my preferred pronouns are they and them. So as a cisgender woman, You might say, Reverend Maria asked me to get her a cup of coffee, and she takes it with cream and sweet and low. She's not very evolved. (coughs) And it's true, I'm not. But if I were genderqueer or transgender, or perhaps simply non-binary, I might say to you, my preferred pronouns are they and them, and you would say, Reverend Maria asked me to get them a cup of coffee. They take it with cream and sweet and low. If I were a transgender man, I would say my preferred pronouns are him, he, and his. And regardless of what you might think when you look at me, regardless of whether or not you might think that you get to assign my gender, if I told you what my preferred pronouns were, you might stumble over them. But Reverend Maria asked me to get him a cup of coffee, and he takes it with cream and chemical poison. You're allowed to get snarky every once in a while. See, my job is to make you laugh at least once every Sunday morning. Right? You're welcome. But that's it. So get it out of your system now, because we're done. you got to laugh with this stuff, right? <clears throat> when I share my pronouns with you, there's a lot going on in my mind. and I, actually, I asked in our last worship associates meeting if the worship associates would be willing to do the same thing, and thank you, Sue, for doing that. I want visitors who come here to hear me say that and recognize that we are a community traveling together along the pathway to gender justice it's a small thing and even though we travel and stumble and maybe we get it wrong I want us to be that community that you talked about Lisa I also want those of you who think what is she talking about ask me about it so we can have these conversations and I want to continue to reinforce my own commitment. To this path of justice because it might be easy for me to forget and to say, Oh man, I've got so much going on right now, and you know, I can't take on one more thing, which is also true, but it's the wrong perspective. So, the author of the article was cisgender, the author of the article got things wrong. Sadly, some really important facts wrong. The author of the article made it sound as though, first of all, just by the title, LGB then T, as though somehow transgender folk arrived on the scene after, right? Or or as an afterthought, or that, you know, they're Transgender folk have not always been in Unitarian Universalism, which of course is not true. She made it sound as though it was all about having surgery or taking hormones. And she talked about how she was told, she was shocked when she was told, well, you can't ask someone if they're transitioning. All of these things may be true in her experience, although the facts were incorrect, but they caused harm. And here's the worst part. Transgender Unitarian Universalists had asked UU World not to publish the article more than once. Please don't do that. It will cause harm. I don't love standing here and telling you that we screwed up, especially not during stewardship season. I don't love feeling that people I know and care about and respect and deeply love have been hurt by my faith. But it's part of our journey together. It's part of this road that we make by traveling together. Transgender Unitarian Universalists, over 50% do not earn enough money to pay for their own needs. Because unemployment is a horrific problem for people who are transgender. A large majority of transgender Unitarian Universalists feel rejected by the congregations they attend. They fear and are frequently misgendered. When we misgender someone, that means that we're addressing them, that we're not acknowledging their true gender. So if I tell you I'm genderqueer and you call me she, you are misgendering me. I've seen the pain on someone's face in the hospital, a transgender Unitarian Universalist who had been in a car accident. I was in the hospital for those injuries and this individual was misgendered and I watched how the pain of the misgendering was deeper than the pain of the accident. Because when we don't see each other That's the biggest hurt of all. I want us, for just a moment, just to hear. I know I've thrown out a lot of information. And some of you may be confused. That's okay. We can learn, right? We can move forward. I would love for us to have a little sign on that bathroom that says all-gender bathroom. I would love for us to move along that pathway because I know, I know that welcoming others, genuinely welcoming others, is part of the DNA here. I know that we want to do that. I know that that's part of who we are here. Well, let's just take a moment and allow ourselves to be uncomfortable. Sooner or later, this journey through the wilderness is going to force us to learn something we didn't think we had the time to learn, or to discover something in ourselves we didn't want to discover some bias some fear but we can do this we can be better we can support our transgender unitarian universalist siblings we can breathe together and remember that love is love. And remember that every single time we take in a deep breath and allow this heart inside of us to open just a little bit more to someone else's story, every single time we do that, this love muscle gets stronger we become stronger and more resilient. And our capacity to embrace one another grows and gets bigger. Every single time. Ashe. Amen. I'd like to share with you this morning the same benediction I shared last week. Last week it was in solidarity with our United Methodist siblings. Today it is still in solidarity with them, but also in solidarity with our trans UU siblings. Bless all who love. Bless all of us queer, and lesbian, and gay, and trans, and bi, and non-binary, and beyond, who lead in the path of spirit, whether we are wanted or not, whether we are fearful or brave, whether we are out or not. Our family has always been called to spiritual leadership, and we serve in many ways. As healers and song leaders, committee chairs and ordained clergy, counselors, and prophets. We preside over communion tables and Shabbat services at bedsides and weddings and direct actions and potlucks. We are at births and deaths leading choirs and capital campaigns. We are everyday people in the pews ready to offer and receive food for our spirits. May every LGBTQ person who doubts that they deserve a spiritual community find a home of spirit and celebration. <clears throat> May every LGBTQ spiritual leader who guides their people with love and skill in the face of homophobia, transphobia, biphobia, know their worth and brilliance. May every LGBTQ plus leader who withstands the pain and harm of congregations, institutions, and denominations find healing, love, and power. Bless all those who are self-avowed practicing lovers of justice and liberation. Bless all those who love.